You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we're justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing in the glory of God. Not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he's given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we've been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we've now received reconciliation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray? Eternal God, giver of life, we thank you for your word. And we ask today that it come not simply in syllables and letters, but in power, with full conviction and with your Holy Spirit. This is our prayer through Jesus. Amen. So what's in it for me? That's a question I'm pretty accustomed to asking. You know, if I'm buying something or I'm committing to something, what's in it for me? But when you ask that question, what is in it for me related to God? That gets a little deeper, right? If I'm supposed to trust God, what's in it for me? It makes me think about the guy that someone slid a copy of the Ten Commandments over to, and he reads through the Ten Commandments. He's like, well, these are fine, but what's in it for me? Right? I mean, isn't that kind of what we wonder with God? Now, you might think that's just an egotistical question or that's a consumeristic question, but I think it's a legitimate question. And I think it's a question that curious people ask, and it's one that I want to answer today. I want to give you an answer of really and truly what it's in, what's in it for you to actually trust in God. So here we go. We all live in a dominion. We live in a, a realm, a reign around us. And perhaps you're aware of this, and perhaps you're not aware of it. Sometimes these dominions can be overlapping and competing with one another. And sometimes we tend to think that a dominion is like an address. You know, I'm the king of my apartment, or I'm the queen of this house. And we will list off the address, the location of where we're at. Well, it's not always a location. Haven't you ever been maybe uh, with some friends? You're seated at a table, you're with them, and you have your phone out. 
and you are in your phone and they say some things and you don't catch it. Maybe you don't even catch all of it, right? You're in a different dominion than that table. You're living in the dominion of your phone. Same thing, you could be at your house playing video games, connected with people all over the country, some of your best buds in this video game, and you're, you're in the house, there's things going on around you, but you are immersed, you're submerged in a completely different reality. What you're seeing on the screen is the reality that you're in. And so these can be overlapping. It's to talk about a dominion or to talk about a reign or a realm, I'm talking about something that absorbs you. Now, when we talk about Christianity, I think Christians don't often talk about Christianity being that kind of a realm, that kind of a dominion. We might think that whenever we cross the threshold of Holy Grandmother's house, we're going to be on a different level. We're going to kind of clean up our language. Maybe we dress a little different. We're, we're in that realm. And so when that changes, maybe things change. Or whenever we uh, cross into the church lobby, maybe things change for us and we think that we're in you know, a certain kind of dominion. And then once we leave that lobby, we're able to go back to things. At First Christian, we're a group of people that follow Jesus. And I don't I think maybe different from other churches, it may be different from other believers. We really believe that that following of Jesus is what absorbs our life. That Jesus is our friend that goes with us wherever we go. And we're absorbed in that and caught up in that to where we don't focus on anything other than letting the Lordship of Jesus and our dwelling in the presence of God guide us and dictate our lives. Now, we do face a lot of competing realities, don't we? We com face competing desires within us, wishes and wants that we have for ourselves. And maybe that's to pursue some pleasure, something that gives us satisfaction. Or to pursue some kind of accolades at work or status or a title. Yet, that is not the reality that has consumed us. Today, I want to talk to you about what God offers to you. And I want to do it in terms of, of a gift that he gives to us. Like a diamond. Does anybody ever deserve getting, getting a diamond? Well, not necessarily. Usually those diamonds are given at special times. Celebration of a specific anniversary. Or maybe it's launching into a brand new relationship with someone. Committing to them for the long haul. But do we deserve it? Not always. In fact, Today, I want to tell you about the palace of God's grace, a dominion that you can live in that can provide for you a gift unlike any other gift. And I want to make it totally simple. We're going to start off and just look at two verses. That way, if you get these two verses, you're in great shape. So look at Romans chapter 5, and I want you to look at the last verse, and we're also going to look at the first verse. The very last verse reads like this. Just as sin exercised dominion in death, so grace might also exercise dominion through justification, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift that's offered to us is a gift of living in the dominion of grace. Now, I, don't, I don't think that I've often thought about grace being a realm in which I can live and dwell where grace is 
the king, the ruler, the guide for my life. And God offers us that gift of being able to live in the dominion of grace. And that's in contrast to the rule of death or of sin or even of law. Well, that's verse 21. That's the last one. I want you to look at the very first verse to see how you access it, the path getting to this palace, what you will travel up. Again in verse 1, therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we've obtained access to this grace in which we now stand. If you want to know how to get this gift that God offers to you, you take it in trust. You take it in faith that God did powerful things through Jesus on your behalf. And when this gift comes, it comes to you by trusting God. Now, if you've got those two verses, then you're in good shape. So you can get a little shut-eye, you can take it easy. But I want to look at another verse. I want us to look further. Look down in verse 6. It's not quite in the center of things, but it tells us about when this comes to us, when this gift arrives. We're all familiar with maybe waiting for the package that we want to show up on the doorstep, maybe even checking a ring doorbell, checking tracking numbers. Well, when does this gift arrive? Look at verse 6 again. For while we were still weak at the right time, God died, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, in those moments when we're given a gift of a diamond or a precious gift that we don't deserve, it's not usually when we're at our worst. And yet God provides this gift to us when we are at our lowest, most abandoned, most dead end point in our life, when we don't know what the next step is. I, I find this strange, almost funny. I don't know that Paul intended it to be funny. I don't know if he wanted to be hilarious in this, but he says, essentially, you know, who would you die for? That's going to be kind of a short list. I see some of you kind of looking over at your spouse and you think, well, I mean, we're going to die anyway. I mean, do I really have to be the first one? Or maybe you think, I, I would die for my kids. I would stand in their place or a really good friend. Someone who's been through you, through thick and through thin, would you step into that place? Now, Paul, Paul gives two examples. He says, well, rarely will a person die for a righteous person. And so, so I'm picturing a righteous person. This is an uptight, upright, they've got it all together. You know they've got it all in place. And Paul says, rarely will someone die for that kind of a person, you know, in a collar, kind of like me. You know, who's going to die for a preacher? It's like, all right, we'll get another one. Well, then he goes on and he says, but maybe for a good person, someone might dare to die. Now, that good person, they're not up to this level of righteousness, but they're someone that you can count on, someone that you trust. And Paul says, yeah, maybe someone would die for a good person, possibly. But then when does this gift arrive on our porch? God sends Jesus to die for all, all of us. We're together in that. And at our lowest, most abandoned, most sinful, un ungodly, whatever you want to say, most dead end point, that's the moment at which God rings the doorbell and offers us 
the key, a diamond key to the palace of the dominion of his grace. To me, that is powerful of what God is willing to do for us, that he's willing to do that while we are a wreck and while we don't have our lives together. And it's at that moment that we don't have anything to brag about, anything to boast about. No religious person does. All through this letter, Paul's talked about different times when you can boast. Have you noticed this? People that will boast about the law or people that will boast about some work that they've done or some marker that they have or that their father or mother is so-and-so, their heritage. All of them have been in the negative. And when we get to this chapter, he finally talks about boasting that's positive. And in verse 11, he says, our boast is in God. Because when you get that diamond key dropped in your hand, you're not going to brag about yourself and what you've done. You're going to brag about the one that gave you the key that opens up this palace. It also, in verse 11, tells us about boasting in God, and a second one that we boast in verse 2 by sharing in God's glory. Well, that sounds kind of amazing. Sharing in God's glory? This is God's presence? In fact, some of you that know verses that kind of stick in your, in your mind, like chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's that glory. We fall short of the presence of the glory, and yet now what we boast in is getting to be in the presence of God, in this palace of his own creation, a palace of grace. The third one is that we're able to boast in verse 3 of our suffering. Now, wait a second. Brady, I thought you said these were positive. Boast in suffering? That's what Paul says. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope and love. If we're going to serve a God that sends Jesus to die for us at our worst point, don't you think that God has redefined and reallocated grace so that suffering can be a part of it? Where the things that we endure, the things that we go through, are not meant to be treated as face value, but they're a part of the path. They're a part of the journey up to this palace. This is amazing to me, that we have no boast except in God, and we get to boast about sharing in the presence of God, and even boast in the difficult life that we live. So the question comes to us is, what dominion are we going to live in? What realm are we going to live inside of? I've used a lot of different words. Have you noticed that for it? The reign, the rule of God, the kingdom of God, the dominion of God. This realm that absorbs us is actually something that Jesus talked about. In fact, the most important point that Jesus shared can be written on the back of your hand. It's just a few lines. It's that the kingdom of God has arrived. Turn your life around, believe it, in the good news that the kingdom of God is now available. God's presence is available to all of us. Now, Jesus talked about it, and so does Paul. Paul speaks about this uh, kingdom nine times in all of his letters. And yet, here in chapter 5, it shows up five times. In verse 14, in verse 17, and in verse 21. And when Paul talks about the kingdom, he talks about two of them. There's a kingdom of sin, a kingdom of death, a kingdom of, of trying to build our own house, really, 
It's a wooden shack. You can see through the walls. It doesn't really hold out the heat. It doesn't keep in the cool in the summer and vice versa in the winter. It's a shack, and yet we live in there. We live confined in this house of our own making, of our own mistakes, of pursuing our own desires and our own wants. So there's that kingdom in contrast to the one that he gives us a diamond key to, a marble palace, a palace of his grace where God reigns and rules. And we get a choice. And it's not really a choice between apples and oranges, is it? There's no comparison there. In verse 15, Paul says the gift that God gives us is nothing like the trespass. It's nothing like what we had done. It, there's just no comparison at all. And he points us into living in to this life with Christ. So we get to choose. What family are we going to be a part of? What domain is going to guide our life? If there was a dynasty of our kingdom, what is it going to be? Is it going to be the kingdom of God or is it going to be the kingdom of our own making? And here in this moment, it's easy to think about those things that tie us in that wooden shack. Old patterns of thinking, mistakes that we've made, mistakes that we're in the middle of making, our desire for safety, and we live in this shack of our own construction. And it doesn't really matter whether we fit into the camp of the religious people like the Jews, who can rely upon what they've done by works of the law or how they've done so well that they would get a good grade, or even if they're Gentiles, non-Jews, outsiders, people driven by pleasure and desire, all of them are on the same plane, choosing to live in a dominion of death, a lifeless dominion, a gift that we're making ourselves and destroying ourselves with. The path that God gives to us, the path up the road to this kingdom, is a kingdom of trust, of trusting that the God who created us in love wants to live with us, and is so willing to show us what his love is that he sends Jesus to his death. That kind of friendship that God wants to have with us baffles my mind. A lot of times when Christians talk about, well, Jesus died for your sins, what, what does that mean? They use a fancy term of atonement. And quite often we'll use a sacrifice meta metaphor where Christ stood in our place. And that's good. That's one of the metaphors of Scripture. Paul used it back in chapter 3. But we get another beautiful one here in chapter 5. This reconciling metaphor. This relationship metaphor. Where God, through Jesus and the death of Jesus, shows that he is a friend unlike any other friend could be. Willing to die for us at our worst moment, at our lowest point. Willing to step in and be with us. And that friendship hopefully makes us think, I want to choose the dominion of grace. I want to live in the kingdom of God. And it helps us begin to look at our lives a little bit differently. What kingdom am I living in? It's pretty easy for us to think, well, you know, I like peaches. I like apples. And we want to eat and think, well, maybe I want a peach tree or an apple tree. But it takes having a vision. It takes knowing what the end result is, that fruit of the life, to actually be able to plant the seed, and water it, and tend to it, and make those apples come where we can actually enjoy them. Or sometimes it's the fruit of other people's labor. 
The same thing is about everything in life. We look and we think, oh, it'd be great to have that job. Well, getting that job means beginning to live a certain way now, stepping into school and training and mentors who can teach us how to do that job. It means having a picture of what the future is. How often do you wish, oh, I wish I had money to retire on? Well, tell a 20-year-old, tell a teenager to save money, to set aside and not spend all that they make, because setting aside 10% to pay yourself later actually reaps fruit down the line. We make choices today about the kind of life that we're going to live. And it's easy for us to get stuck in a dead life, to build a shack around ourselves, to fail to live in gratitude for what God has given us, even if it's very small, to fail to be thankful for the relationships that we do have and only think about those that we've lost, to worry and be frustrated about who's not being a friend to me, instead of thinking about how we can be a friend to other people, to begin to live into the future, to live into the dominion of grace, not just later, but now. And so when we ask, what does God give? It's not necessarily a question of the ego or of consuming, because God really wants to give you a gift. It's a gift that he comes and takes each one of us at our most troubled, our weakest point, He comes to us in that domain of death that we find ourselves living and he treats us like a friend and says, this is the way I'm taking you. I'm taking you by my own life. I'm bringing you into my presence. And even though maybe we should be judged, maybe we should be treated as an enemy of God, we're not. We're brought into the presence of God where God says, would you trust me? Would you live in the dominion of grace? It's a lot better than the shack that you're building. The shack with holes, the shack confined by your own mistakes. Instead, we can boast by being in the presence of God, entering a marvelous realm, a kingdom. And we can trace those results. We can see what happens when we begin making decisions now that live in that realm of grace. It changes us, it transforms us you will find that you begin to operate from a more peaceful center. Even though the waters around you might be crazy and chaotic, even though those waves are crashing in on you and you feel alone, you begin to operate from that peaceful place of knowing who has you, who has brought themselves to you in the form of Jesus Christ, who has filled you with the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, And so, yes, we're still going to face evil. We're still going to face suffering. It's going to crash all around us. Yet this good and beautiful choice of living in the kingdom of God, of choosing to align ourselves with God, is the brave step. The coward step is to stay in that closet, to stay in that shack. The bravest people that I know are those that made decisions even last week to go into therapy, to realize that for their own good, they needed to sit down and let someone help them process what's going on. The brave people that I know are those that think highly enough of themselves that they're going to quit the job that's taking their life. That was beautiful.
So, so maybe they're going to quit the job, or maybe they're going to take the job, get off the couch and get the job. Now, whichever one of those appeals to you is probably the opposite that you're supposed to do, either to get up off the couch and find that job or to take that job. The brave people that I know are those that are willing to go alone to church. As much as they would like to have their friend with them, as much as they would like to have the one that they love beside them, they are committed to a God that is higher, and they know that they're able to live in the palace of God, with peace with God. That drives us as young people, as old people, to be in the presence of God, listening to the voice of God. That treats that significant other, that spouse, in a different way. When we live in the palace of grace, in the dominion of grace, it means we're looking out for their good. No, we're not going to get trampled over. Yes, we're going to be our own person. That's, that much is true. But we're going to encourage them and work for their good, to build them up when they are down. When we show up at the job, and you may have uh, the worst, meanest coworkers or the most awful boss, instead of focusing in on their inadequacies, you realize that you're stepping into that job in order to serve God. Because you live in a dominion that other people can't see. Your boss is someone higher. Your boss is someone who is willing to come and embrace this life and live it right beside you. So I draw us back to where we began. Back to that last verse and the first verse. Back to the last verse that tells us to live in the dominion of grace. That we can find life that is eternal in the present moment through Jesus Christ. And back to that first grace that, that gets the path for us to travel up to the doorway to this palace of grace where we are justified, we're made right, our, our mistakes are behind us and we have peace with God. Relationship is restored because we take it in trust. So, what's in it for you? What's in it for you is God. God is in it for you. God was willing to take on flesh through Jesus, experience life like us, to experience death on our behalf, and most importantly, to be raised to new life, to show us that new life is possible now, in the present moment. For those who have peace with God and trust in God, would you join me in prayer? God, we bow ourselves before you. We, we lift our hands to you. We know that we are not worthy. We're weak. We're troubled. We make lots of mistakes. And we cannot thank you enough for this gift that you offer us, a gift that we receive and trust and faith of believing that you have not just brought Jesus to this world, but raised Jesus up, giving us confident assurance of what you will do with our lives. And so we say, hey, don't let the story stop there. Take a look at each one of our lives, God. Would you come alongside of us? Would you help us in our relationships and in our jobs with our children with the difficult things that we have with our neighbors, whatever it is, God, would you be present and show your strength and your power. We ask this through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.
Amen.